Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. Here's what it says in verse 1 of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Would you say your God? He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I am the Lord. What's that next word say? Your God. Everyone say your God. It's going to be important. I am jealous. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy, amen to that, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Notice the word your God over and over and over and over again. Very important. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he hallowed it. Honor your father and mother. It's too bad we let go of the Kenyan kids already. They're already in service. (laughs) Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, now it takes a turn. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. It's like saying, okay, God, we get it. Don't covet anything. Right there within that passage of scripture, we see 10 commandments that God gives. In the New Testament, it's almost as if Jesus knew how we felt when we read that passage, like, right? Jesus simplifies it. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Notice the word, testing him. It's probably not a good idea to test Jesus, by the way. He's the son of God. Testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, everyone say first, and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. Uh Uh-oh. As yourself. Uh Uh-oh. Man, Jesus put it on thick right there. You heard me say this last week. It's one thing to say I love the Lord my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Okay, God, I I could check that box off. But Jesus, knowing us, come on, look at your neighbor and says, he knows you. Jesus, knowing us, takes it a step further. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 40, and then we'll sit. On these two commandments, watch here. On these two commandments, Wait a minute, but God gave 10. 
on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let me paraphrase it for you. The first four commandments that we read help us deal with our relationship with God. The remaining six is how I relate with you and how you relate with me and how we all relate with each other. So when Jesus makes the statement, he's not saying the Ten Commandments don't matter. For those of us who know the Old Testament, he's saying these four, that's your love for God. These six, that's your love for each other. And over the next 10 weeks, I'm going to help us all love each other. And everyone said, amen. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Father, especially today, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, worship team for coming early, for helping us get into the presence of God. We, um, we're so thankful for you. I want to get right to the message this morning. If you want to give yourself a title, today we're talking about the principle of priority. Everyone say priority. The principle of priority. If we look at the very first commandment that you shall have no other gods before me, the principle that we find within that commandment is going to be the priority that God wants us to place upon him. Before we get too crazy into the message, let me just put it this way. If we can't make God a priority in our lives, the relationships around us will always suffer. They will never work. Listen to me. You don't have enough patience in your life and in your world to have enough patience for your spouse when they keep doing something that drives you nuts. Oh, it got quiet right there. Wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the head turn to the other spouse. I was expecting the amen from this corner right over here. You know what I mean? It's like we don't have enough patience. Um, at times, we don't have the ability to stop this thing right here from saying what this mind is thinking. And everyone said, we just don't. Like none of us do. It's like, listen, if you didn't get sleep because you have children or your, your spouse snores, which by the way, I heard that's an epidemic in our church. I talk to men in our church all the time. And they're like, pastor, I'm so tired. I'm like, why? They're like, my wife, she snores. Anyways. I'll give you something to say. Blame it on the dog. Don't blame it on your wife. Bad idea, right? But it's like we don't have enough within us by ourselves to be what we need to be. If, if, if God, I know I'm being silly here, but think about this. If I can't have the fruit of the Spirit working in my life, what is the fruit of the Spirit? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and number nine, by the way, self-control. Then, then I don't have the fruit. Then I'm not walking with the Holy Spirit. I can't be what you need me to be if the Holy Spirit's not working in me. I can't be what you need me to be if God and I vertically are not what we are supposed to be. Now, we have to keep in mind and we have to know this you will never be perfect, so let that go right now. You will fail people and you will fail people closest to you. And there will be times when it hurts and it is hard. But God is still good, and God can still work. That's the beauty of it. But you're going to mess this thing up. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you're going to mess this thing up. And say it nicely now. Some of you don't be so mean. I like getting you guys talkative because it's really awkward when you just stare at me. So I like giving you things to say. So it's, it's unawkward. What I'm trying to say at the beginning of this message, and especially for the whole series, the reason this priority thing is so important is because what your spouse needs or what your relationship needs or what your children need or what your friendships need or what your, your job needs is someone who knows 
how to place God in top priority, being number one. It's, it, listen, it's the promise I'm going to make you. If you make God number one, although sometimes it will be a lot of work, things will work out. If there is no God, if he is no number one in your life, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible. So how do I understand this from the context of reading today in Exodus chapter 20, which you can find in Ten Commandments in three different places in the Old Testament? How do I understand this whole idea that there's principles for living that help me in relationships? Okay, well, I think we have to start all the way back at the beginning. So I've got three points today, and Dave said, amen to that one. So Dave said, always three points. First is simply this, okay? I want you to write this down. Here's what you need to know. Number one is that the commandments are all about relationship. Now, this is where we need to start, and this is what we need to remember. We know this to be true, especially if we've been raised in church, but especially if we haven't been raised in church and we just listen to someone who says something very uneducated. And a very uneducated statement when it comes to the Ten Commandments is this. You ready? Oh, that's just a bunch of rules. Respectfully, that is a very uneducated statement. Now, you say, well, no, he says do and don't. Correct. But behind all of those do's and don'ts are the big idea. And the big idea is, is God is wanting relationship with you and with me. Any parent in this room will tell you the reason why they are, there are do's and don'ts is not because we want to master over our children. It's because we want to protect and guide and lead our children. And that all stems back to this idea of relationship. So when God speaks to Moses up on top of that mountain, gives him these things, it's because God is seeking out the very thing that he actually created in the garden, which was relationship. Remember, think about Adam and Eve. What was it about? God wanted a relationship. Think about the children of Israel. What was it about in getting them back and restoring them? He wanted relationship with them. Think about this. The reason in sending Jesus to the world to die for our sins is so that you and I could have relationship with God. If you think about it, it's all about relationship. These are not just about rules. So when you look back at the Ten Commandments, you can see from the very beginning that God wanted relationship with the children of Israel. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all of these words, saying, watch here, I am the Lord, not a God. He didn't say I'm the Lord, and by the way, I'm just a God. No, no, no. God made it very personal. God said, I am the Lord, your God. So he's establishing right there from the beginning that it's not just me hoarding over you. It's that you and I are in this thing called life together, but I am your God. So God reminds them from the beginning that I am the one that is your God, but I am also the one that took you out of bondage. That's what he was doing with the children of Israel. So we got to understand, though, that God does the same thing for you and I. Why does he send Jesus to the cross? So you could be forgiven of your sin. We all got it, right? Oh, come on, am I speaking to the right church here? Like, do you got sin? I like how some of you are like, um, right? We, we all do. The whole point of Jesus coming was so that you could be set free from sin, which is, which is bondage. See, it, it's one thing to be a child of God and to make a mistake and sin. We all do. But when you're bound by sin, when it controls you, right, 
That's called bondage. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man, everyone say old man, was crucified with him. That old man being that old person who was addicted and in bondage and messed up. That old person was crucified so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, in bondage to sin. Sin being the separator from us and a holy God. It's all about relationship. But there's something very interesting in this passage of Scripture, especially in the first part of Exodus, that we have to understand. I'd love for you to write this down, okay? You have to hear this, okay? When it comes to relationship with God, here's what you need to know. We determine the depth of our relationship with God. No one else can do it for us. When it comes to relationship with God, friends, look at me and hear me with all the love and sincerity that I have, okay? You determine the depth of it. In other words, you determine how close you want to be to God. We see this in the New Testament. It's not just a a scripture that we use for worship, but the Bible says that as you draw near to me, being God, the Bible said God draws near to you. Can I ask you the question? Who's taking the first step in that? You are, and I am. God, and it's not because God's like, he's trying to be the ruler and the master, and he's like, no, no, he's saying that he's actually a God who wants to be wanted. You ever think about that? Notice in our opening passage of Scripture, he says this, I'm a jealous God. What does that even mean when God says I'm jealous? It means that he wants nothing else taking the place of him because he desires relationship with you. Some of you need to go back to your first grade, second grade, third grade year in elementary school when you thought she was the cutest thing ever and at the age of whatever that is, you were going to marry her and things were going to be good and then your best friend swooped in and took her. And you felt jealousy for the very first time? Just me? Oh, man, that's bad. I just put it all out there for you. Come on, you ever been jealous? Let's just, let's just, let's be active. You ever been jealous? Show hands. That was a lot of hands. (laughs) Okay. Think of how deep that felt, that jealousy that the person that you loved and admired or wanted so much so was about something else. Now think about when God says, the creator of you and I, by the way, the creator of everything. Think about what he feels. By the way, God has emotions. You were created in his likeness and in his image. You have emotions because God has emotions. <laughs> How many of you guys know, though, he controls them a lot better than we do, right? You have emotions. So imagine how God feels when he says, I'm a jealous God, that anything would take top priority over me. And imagine what he feels. See, it all goes back to this idea that that we determine the depth of our relationship with God. I want to take you back to Exodus real quick and show you a side of Moses that's going to help us understand this. Verses 3 through 17 in Exodus 20, we have, the, we have the commandments. We saw that the 10. But look at verses 18. Read this with me. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lighting flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, the Bible says they, they, they trembled, and watch here, and they stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, watch here, you speak with us, and we will hear you. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. 
There was fear going on. Think about this. This is the God that they knew of. And what they were saying was, is, hey, oh, we're not drawing close to that. We're going to just stay away from that. And they're saying, hey, Moses, why don't you, you go talk to God. We'll stand afar off, and then you could just come back and let us know what he says. That's what's going on here. And so Moses says in verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Verse 20, so the people, they stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness, watch here, where God was. You say, why would you take a moment to speak about that? And here's why. I think, respectfully, that that is how a lot of people view this whole idea of hearing and learning about God. Now, I probably do this once a week because for some of you, I have great relationship with you. And for some of you, maybe I don't know you that well. And sometimes I say, hey, I just want you to look at me and I want you to smile because I'm getting ready to say something that might push a little bit. This is that moment. Smile, everyone. Beautiful. Okay, here we go. Because here's what happens. Hey, pastor, this week you meet with God. You, you have your morning prayer time, your devotion time, your study time. Pastor, you go get close to God and do all the things that you need to do. And you get a word, pastor. And then I'll come to church on Sunday and you tell me what God says. I usually am very careful with this statement because I believe more times than not it is a very spiritually immature statement when we make statements like, well, the church doesn't. You don't know what churches outside of the city are doing for God, so you can't make that statement. That, that was another smile moment, by the way can't make that statement. Well, the church has just lost its love for Jesus. You don't know that. Just focus on the church you go to and stop picking on other people. Anyways, smile. <laughs> okay, so, so I say all that to say because I very rarely make this statement, but I've seen it. That's how a lot of people view hearing from God. They take no personal responsibility, and they put it all upon the person who gets up here every week who for 35 to 40 minutes, sometimes an hour if you're lucky. I don't know if that's luck, but. And they say, hey, did you hear from God, Pastor? And then this is what happens. After a while, too, if what's being said doesn't hit them, they don't even consider God. They just up and leave. Oh, man, this got real heavy in here. Because there's a mentality. Watch here. I'm trying to show you something through Scripture. These guys knew of the acts of God. 430 years they were in bondage. And God set them free. He freed them from slavery and from bondage. Yet they still would not draw closer to him. And they expected a man to go up on a mountain to get the word and then to come back and convey it. I would like to spin that train of thought and say, 
Every single day of every single moment, you have the opportunity to draw near to a God who wants to talk to you in all the ways that you need to be talked to, who wants to help you with whatever you need help with, who wants to satisfy your soul when you're broken and when you're empty and when you're discouraged and when you're confused. There is a God who is close to you, but you have to take the step to say, God, I want to go up on the mountain. I want to see your thunder. I want to see your lightning. I want to hear your voice. I want to tremble in awe of who you are because I want to hear what you have to say. What would happen in your life if this week you drew closer to God? What would happen? What would happen if the things of God took more priority than the things of life. We're going to get to that in a moment. I'm going to help you understand that. Because some of you are going like, I don't know how this looks and works. It's confusing. I get that. I've been there. I've sat in churches as a young man going, okay, you're saying draw near to God, be with God. What does that actually look like? I get it. That's okay to think that. That's the part of growing in Christ. But again, it all goes back to what I said. Relationship. You've heard me make this before, but I'll say it for those of you who haven't, Okay. So the rest of you who have heard this, just pretend like you're hearing it for the first time. Let's just say, well, I did, I did, that I got married to Vanessa. And after we said I do, and we went to the party, which, by the way, new married couple sitting over here, just got married yesterday. Hey, perfect time to throw that in. But the wedding's done, the first dance. Okay, never mind. Jerry and Ainsley got married yesterday, okay? So what if, what if? After you guys had the ceremony, which was beautiful, by the way, um, you, you ate the food, Chipotle, which is where they met, which that was, I mean, anytime you go to a wedding and they're serving Chipotle, that's like clutch right there. I'm just letting you know right now. That was amazing, right? And so you, you cut the cake, you throw it in his face. I saw it. I saw it. There's cake on the beard, right? You do the first dance. You do all of that stuff, Ainsley. You ready? And all of a sudden, Jerry, at the end of the night, says, hey, I just want to thank you. Today was a great day. Now, I'm going to go to my house, and you're going to go to your house. And maybe in a couple of days, after I'm done doing what I have to do, I'll give you a call, and maybe we can hang out. How long do you think that marriage is going to last? Bye, Felicia, right? I mean, it's not going to work. Why? Because there's, there's no relationship. There. There's no drawing near to each other. And if I can't draw near to you, I can't hear you. I can't understand you. I can't learn. You got to be in close proximity with the person. Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Right? Crazy analogy right there. But I said it. I can't take it back. As I always say, it's on film now. But what I'm saying is, is think about this. God is saying, guys, listen, it's all about relationship. And the question that I have to answer every day and that you have to answer every single day is do you want to be in close relationship with God? And if the answer is yes, we can help you do that. Amen? All right, point number two. How does that work? Easy. Number two, you have to worship God only. Now we're getting to the commandment. The first, the first point was like the major point for the whole series every single week. It's all about relationship. With God, with each other. Now look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now we have to understand 
why God is saying this. Because for us to read it, we go, yeah, no one else comes before God. But we have to remember that the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, this is the numbers, it's staggering. In Egypt, they had 29 main gods, main gods, and 2,000 lesser gods. They had gods for everything. They even had a god whose name, you're going to love this, guess what his name was? Happy. That's weird. The god of happy. And I'm convinced nobody was happy, right? 29 gods, 2,000 lesser gods. It makes it make sense when he says that you shall have no other gods before me, meaning I'm the only God. Now, it could be confusing. I won't spend long on it, but understand this. He's saying you shall have no other gods before me. Now, if you are a teacher in this room or watching online, there's all these things that take place with that word and conjunctions and all of that stuff. See, when I start to hear all that, I give the look that some of you are giving me right now, which is your eyes begin to gloss over and you're like conjunctions and all this stuff. You would almost read it to be like, well, wait a minute. He's saying I can have gods. They can't just be before him. That's how it reads. You shall have no other gods before me. So he's not saying I can't have these other gods. No, no, no. He's actually saying that. Why? Look at Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. So he takes it a step further. says, not only before, but even beside. He's saying that no matter what in your life, you must worship me only. Now, we could get this confused and start to wonder in our lives, okay, well, what could be another God before us. And I don't think I'm going to say something that you guys don't know. But this is how it could be for a lot of people in having other gods in their life that they're looking to for their significance and for their happiness and their status and all of that. It's the God of relationships. I know people who pursue relationships with other people over God. That's become a God to them. Their time is consumed by everything but the things of God, their habits, their money, their pleasures of sin, their stuff. See, I don't think I'm saying anything you don't already know, but sometimes we don't realize that those things are getting in the way of God being the only God in my life. Let me just say this. God is not against you having stuff. I know we say this in church world, but if you're not accustomed to church world, I'll say it for you. God's not against you having stuff. He is against stuff having you. In other words, it controlling your every decision, meaning that I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to go there because I want this stuff right here. And what happens is, is the things of God takes a back seat because we're trying to get the stuff. When in reality, God says, hey, if you just put me first, what do you need? What do you want? I'll bless your life. Which leads to point number three. Our last point is Nate comes. You gotta keep first things first. If God is saying, worship me only, then how we do that is we keep first things first. So the question becomes is what takes first place in my life? Remember, this series is about our relationship with God and our relationship 
with others. As we get further into this series, it will become much more about how we operate with each other. But again, I made this statement. You can't operate with each other if you can't learn to operate with God. So I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning, like a good English paper, like a thesis statement. And now I'm saying at the end of the message, and I feel really good about myself for knowing that. And I'm okay with the few laughs in there because you know where I'm coming from, right? If I can't get things right with God first, I will not get things right with you. You never will. So you have this journey, right, and this process that takes place. So when I talk about keeping first things first, then in reality, what I've got to understand is I have to understand just how important first is. If you've been with us for any length of time, we've talked about what's known as the principle of first, meaning that if you want to know the true definition of something from the Bible or something that you should carry out, you have to go back to the first time that it was actually found in the Bible. This is a fascinating way to understand the things about the Bible, by the way, is you go back through the Bible with the commentary or, or you call someone who can help and you say, okay, when it comes to the issue of fill in the blank, where is it mentioned first time in the Bible? It's a fascinating way to study the Bible. Let me give you an example. Worship. Because we're Western culture, a lot of people would say if they define worship, they would define worship as what these guys do for us every single week. They would say that's the definition of worship. But what if I told you that's not the definition of worship? I would have to have a place to base that on. So the question becomes is where does the word worship first take place in the Bible? Tanya and Robbie, you're going to love this. We're doing a Bible devotion together on the life, or we did one on Abraham. Fascinating read, by the way. If you've never read the whole life of Abraham, whoo, buckle up. It's got some good God moments and some Jerry Springer moments, man. You're just like, what in the world did I just read? It's fascinating. Worship. Worship was mentioned first time in the book of Genesis where the Bible says Abraham went up top on a mountain to sacrifice his son and worship God. So let's put this into context. What is worship? Worship is sacrifice. It's not music. That's a form of worship. We're giving worship to God. We're thanking God. But worship by definition is sacrifice. So now what happens is, is I worship God with my life when I sacrifice the things that don't matter or I sacrifice what belongs to God. So now you see this principle of first in the Bible and you start to see a bunch of things. You, you start to see that, that all throughout the Old Testament, you see that, that, that worship and, and, and that sacrifice and that putting God first, making first thing first, is all throughout the Bible. You can see it in the Old Testament. The first tithe was given to the city of Jericho. Why? Because Jericho was the first city in the Bible. You can see that they were instructed to bring the firstborn of their animals as a sacrifice to God, which, by the way, you don't have to do that today unless you have a cat. You can do that. Just joking. Just joking. Cat lovers, don't be throwing stuff at me. We see that. We see that God asked for the first of the harvest. He said the first, think, think of Cain and Abel. 
Which sacrifice did God take and which one did he not take? The leftover sacrifice wanted nothing to do with it. But the first, everything. The principle that runs all throughout scripture is the principle of first. And I've, I've said this so many times. That's why we believe in giving God the first of our day, the first of our week, the first of our month, and the first of the year. This is called the principle of first. Every morning that I wake up, I give God the first of my day. I pray to God. I read his word. I'm saying, God, you are first in my life. And when I wake up, it's about you. I give him the first of my day. I give God the first of my week, which, by the way, is a Sunday. That's why we believe as believers, as Christians, from God's word, not some pastor or some guy who wants to fill a building. No, 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 no. We give God the first of our week in church because that's what the Bible says to do. We give God the first of our month. As believers, we believe in the tithe. We believe that everything that we have is God's gift to us. And God is so good, he asks for 10% and he lets us keep 90%. That's a really good deal, by the way. But we give God the first of our first fruits because we believe the Bible. And everyone said, yeah, don't get quiet right there. But then we also give God the first of our year. That's why we have our 21 days of prayer and fasting every single year. What are we trying to do? We're trying to say, keep first things first. That is how we have relationship with God. We give him first. It's a principle. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and watch here, and all these things, say all. Man, that sounds good. You mean to tell me that if I just put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, righteousness, what's that mean? Right standing. That I do my best to be in right standing with God. Not perfect, but my best. You mean to tell me that if I seek God's kingdom first and I do my best to live right, he literally promises. We talk about singing the song, all of your promises are yes and amen. Yes, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's a promise. So God comes first. And when that happens, the people and the purposes in our lives, they begin to work out. Think about your marriage. Think about relationships. It works best when God is first. Think about your children. Think about your parenting. How many guys know it works best when God is first and gives you a lot of grace and a lot of coffee? Purpose works best when God is first. If God is first in my purpose, it works best. In my finances, it works best. In my friendship, in my relationships, it always works best when God is first. Repeat this with me. Life is best when God is first. Now say it like you mean it. Life is best. When God is first. Man, if you believe that, come on. If it's not just lip service, I'm, I'm just repeating it because pastor said so. No, no, no. If you believe that, if you make that your life, friend, I promise you, it'll always be best. When God is first, life is best. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we close, you guys have been wonderful, wonderful. Man, asking the Lord and believing that God is number one in our lives, there are a lot of things that help us understand that. I really want to encourage you guys this week, especially as we go. I know summertime is here. And I know summertime's for a lot of people, for a lot of families. Um, there's almost like this thing that happens in the summertime 
where you just begin to back off a little bit, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, man, I know we've got some students in the room, and man, they're happy they're not in school. It's like, man, I don't have to wake up and do schoolwork and all that stuff. So I know MJ's like, this is the best ever. Um, but, but even as adults, also too, man, there's, there's certain seasons, right, throughout the year where we just kind of, we just kind of, I don't think God's against us laying back, but I will say this, he is against anything having place other than him in our lives. And it's because he wants to be in relationship with us. So I really want to encourage you, keep God first in everything that you do. No matter where you are in life, listen, I know inside of our church, um, because I'm with most of you throughout the week, whether it's in person, on the phone, texting, um, I know there are a lot of things and there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard situations for people in our church right now. And some of it's devastating and some of it's so hard. Bible talks about how you were to carry each other's burdens and to mourn with those who mourn and to weep with those who weep, but to also have joy with those who have joy. I mean, that is, that is literally the body of Christ. And for someone who's going through a hard time in a difficult season, um, man, it's so hard because for some, you can't see a way out of this deal. I was encouraging a friend of mine and I was just saying, look, I can't fully understand what it is you're going through because I haven't been there. But I made this statement to him, and I, I believe it stemmed from the scriptures and from the word, is just make sure that as you're going through this thing, and it's difficult and it's hard, and you're going to need the prayer of friends and the space to walk through this. But I encouraged him. I said, man, just make sure God is number one in your life. Even if that relationship at that moment with you and God is you just telling the Lord all of your hurt and all of your pain, I encourage him. I said, look, I go, when you look at the Psalms and you look at what David was talking about in some of the most difficult times of his life, there were doubts that he had. There were fears that he had. There were moments when God was, I'm sorry, when, when David was flat out upset with God. And you know what's crazy? It didn't face God. God is okay. Hear me. God, I hate saying it this way because it sounds so derogatory of a good God, but, but God's a big boy. I, say, I hate even saying that. God can handle what you're feeling and what you're going through. So take it to him. Take your hurts, take your pains, take your confusion. And I'm not here to tell you, sometimes it's nothing more than just literally verbalizing with your mouth and just giving it to God and allowing him to just speak. What I'm saying is, is if you're here and you're struggling, keep God as your top priority. If you're here and maybe you're not struggling and you're in a season where God is just abundantly blessing you, number one, remember, it's only because of him that it's happening. You keep him your priority, no matter how good it gets. And we all want it to get good. And everyone said, we want it to get good, but keep him. You didn't do it in yourself. That's why I hate the statement. I'm a self-made millionaire. No, you're not. I'm a self-made person. No, you're not. If you're a believer, you're not. Because the Bible says all good things come from above. It's his goodness upon your life. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.